Our guest this week is a pioneering entrepreneur in machine translation technology, Tony O'Dowd. Tony has established and sold a number of companies in this space. He is one of the people who is bringing artificial intelligence-driven machine translation to new heights. His company, Accelerator, works with major customers such as Volkswagen, Caterpillar and eBay, providing systems that translate billions of words. So how has COVID affected his company? Responding to the COVID crisis, Tony talks about how Accelerator has pivoted to digital-first selling after the virus stopped international travel and face-to-face meetings. This required both new technology tools and cultural changes internally, plus some acceptance by customers. It's true to say that selling will never be the same again, and it's a very interesting use case. Tony is clearly a leader in the ML industry, and his story shows how staying innovative is key to his success. I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, Digital First Selling. During these times of COVID and falling telco sales, Digital First Selling is the answer to new customer acquisition, increasing revenues and cost reduction. If you are a telco, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, we have the ideal Digital First Selling as a Service solution for you. The Netzer Digital First Selling Solution enables you to sell and onboard remotely. You will integrate with your BSS and OSS systems and with Salesforce, and we meet all regulatory requirements. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com so that we can understand your issues and provide you with the best solution. Welcome to the podcast, and we have a fantastic guest this week with Tony O'Dowd. Tony is a pioneer in the machine translation industry and has founded a number of companies that have been successful in the space, the main one being Canton, but he'll explain that to us in a second. Also, Tony has a lot of reflections on selling in the COVID age, the impact of digital first selling and so on. So I think you're going to find this, this great interview. So first of all, Tony, thanks for coming on board as a guest. Pat, thanks very much for the invitation and for the opportunity then to share some of my experiences from the computer industry and how they've changed and how they've, I guess, morphed into a new way of doing business now in this age of COVID-19. Yeah, certainly. We've come a long way from Windows 3 anyway, Tony, I think. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, the good old days of Lotus 1, 2, 3 and Windows 3. Remember that Godiva, wasn't it? Godiva was the project. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're, we, we'll uh, we can reminisce some uh, over a pint in the future, I'm sure. But um, first of all, Tony, uh, yeah, you actually are a pioneer in machine translation. You're one of the principals in this area. So back in the day, just for the audience, a lot of the software and the the literature that was associated with the software was was translated by humans. And now, Tony, what's the state of play in in the translation industry? Sure. It's a, it's a good point, Pat. So when I started in the industry, I guess it's nearly 32, 33 years ago, all of the localization strategies, in other words, how to take an English product, predominantly an English product, and get it into international markets, we used a strategy that was predicated on using professional translators. So we hired in-country tra- professional translators who obviously could speak you know, German and French, Italian and Spanish and so on. And we deployed armies of those uh, translators to translate our products. And that's how we broke into those international markets. And that was kind of the mainstay strategy for companies like Microsoft and Losas and IBM. It was, you know, to some extent, it was almost brute force and violence, you know, a lot of human <laughs> endeavor. 
Yeah. Um, but over the years, then technology took a part uh, into that process. So one of the technology innovations that came to the market was the use of a translation memory system, where if you translate a segment or a sentence, the translation memory would record that translation, and then you wouldn't have to translate that same sentence again. And that was a significant technology for the guts of 20 years. And it did accelerate the, the ability to localize. It scaled the localization process and it introduced cost efficiencies. And translation memory is probably the, the, the number one technology that's pervasively used out there today. Okay, yeah. Gone, sorry, go on. No, sorry, Tony. Yeah, so well, I, but you've but it's taken a whole new level now. And I think this is where you, you've made a huge contribution. That, that's correct. So the next level beyond that was, so using a lot of translators, the next challenge in the industry was we now had significant amount of content. So with the explosion of Web2, the pervasiveness of the internet, the fact that all companies were moving to have a digital online presence, and they were starting to produce a lot of content in those, uh, on those digital online presences, the, the amount of content just exponentially exploded. So you know, if you remember, Pat, when you and I were talking about, you know, putting together budgets for the translation of Lotus 1, 2, 3, it might have had a quarter of a million words in its help system. It might have had maybe 20,000 words in its user interface. Now we're dealing with projects that have a billion words. You know, Amazon web presence in Europe at the moment is about 7 billion words for the entire website. You know, if you had a strategy that was predicated on human endeavor alone, you would never be able to translate that type of content. So it's inevitable that the machines would have to take over or the machines would have to have a bigger role in this new localization process. And not only is it a scaling issue, it's a speeding issue because they want this content almost translated instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So it's inevitable that we have to build systems based on AI, uh, which the current evolution of machine translation is based on neural networks. And what we're doing now in the new business I'm involved in is using those AI systems to translate hundreds of millions, if not billions of words of content on a continuous uh, basis. Okay, so that's really interesting. It's pretty amazing how far things have come. I mean, how good are the translations, Tony? Interesting question, because that's one of the questions that always comes up in our sales talk with clients. How good is machine translation? You know, uh -huh. um, so obviously it was incumbent of us to go out and measure this and see how close we can get to human parity mm -hmm. or professional translator parity. So we commissioned a number of evaluations with uh, some of our clients, probably our best known client for that evaluation was eBay. So where we looked, what we looked at was we looked at how close can a machine translation system get to the quality that it can be produced by um, a, a human translator, okay? And we measured that we're about 80% on a scale of zero to 100% on quality, on overall translation quality. So we're about 80% yeah. of the quality that a professional translator can deliver. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty amazing, really, when you think about the amount of permutations. And the, in, the nuances in language. Yeah, and what's really driven that ability to get to 80%, Pat, is this whole introduction of AI and neural networks. Because if you go back to when we started Cantan, we used to use statistical-based engines. And statistical-based engines called phrase-based uh, machine translation systems. So the machine translation system itself didn't understand the concept of a sentence. 
it used to look at a sentence and break it into phrases and then look up the translation of each of those mini phrases and then assemble those phrases together to form, you know, a sentence. But mm -hmm. obviously that assembly process would introduce, you know, a lot of syntactical and grammatical errors. Okay. Now, the big paradigm shift that's happened in the industry in the last two to three years is that we're now using neural-based systems which model the, thing, the way the human brain works and the way the human brain learns, and we're training those systems on full sentences. Okay. So the systems now understand, they don't assemble sentences, they actually decode the entire sentence in one go, which means we have about six times less errors in our translation. And that has really jumped that quality gap up to about 80%. Statistical systems would have only reached around 60, 65% in terms of mm. the uh, quality of a human translator. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, Tony. I mean, and, you know, it's only going to get better too, as, as I'm sure you're more aware than I am. So maybe you mentioned uh, eBay there. Maybe you've a few other big customers that you deal with. Yes. So if you look at, say, the Volkswagen Group, the biggest truck manufacturer in the world, is, or sorry, in Europe, is a company called Man Trucks. And that's a division of the Volkswagen Group. And all of their TI, technical information, documentation, is machine translated today. So they have service bureaus, mechanical workshops all over the world that service Man Trucks. And every time they bring out a new component of an engine, a new um, spark plug, a new carburetor, um, anything to do with diesel engines, that has to be translated. And that information has to be understood by the mechanic sitting in St. Petersburg. He has to, the, the mechanic sitting in Copenhagen has to be able to understand it. And in order to translate that content into that, those, that Russian language and that Danish language, they have to use machine translation because of the sheer volume of documentation that are translating. If you look at John Deere, go to the John Deere website. That website is completely machine translated and it's human reviewed as well for quality. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's such a huge website. Again, they couldn't keep those websites in sync unless they had some element of machine translation underpinning their ability to add velocity and speed with the delivery of that content. Right. And it's, it's fantastic, Tony, that you're, um, you're a technical entrepreneur, but also an actual entrepreneur in the fact that you've started a number of companies in this space. They've been successful. Um, you're doing one at the moment. But maybe we were having a chat earlier about how has COVID affected you? you do, you're a business-to-business selling process typically i know myself that involves getting on a plane going to a conference having a coffee shaking hands that's all stopped hence this podcast by the way but uh so how has it affected your business yeah it's an interesting insight there pat because if i go back say 18 months ago we used to talk about road warriors in our sales team these are guys <laughs> that spent a lot of time on the road um, in country selling to our clients and you know there'd be nearly a competition to see who could clock up the most amount of frequent flyer miles in any particular <laughs> year you know that's just the way it was so our sales team was dispersed to the four corners of the globe selling our products we would meet clients face to face we would talk to them get to know them better see the color of their eyes so to speak and then be able to sell our content to it so in-field selling was just the way we did it we did very little um, digital um, selling in those days. Today, almost instantaneously since COVID-19 hit, hit the world and started this big crisis that we're suffering now, we had to switch all that over to inside sales or digital sales. And that has created this new strategy in the organization called digital first selling. Okay. 
-hmm. So we have switched everything over to a digital campaign. So we're doing online events every Wednesday. We run online events with our clients and their technical events, as well as kind of get to know you better events. Meetings are all done online and so on. We now have two professional writers in the organization that just manage our social channels and build all our blog content. And that outreach content is now automatically sent out to our clients worldwide. And what we focused on, we used to, we always use the CRM system, you know, right, but yeah. now what we're doing is we're using technology to automate an already process that we thought was automated. So one of the things that we're using now is kind of, I think, a technique called pipelining, where we create like streams of content. So you might de 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 develop two or three streams of email chains. So, so each of these chains has a different message. You might have six or seven messages in six or seven emails. And what we do is we connect that pipelining capability to our CRM system. So it's actually mailing our clients and our pr prospects automatically in this sequence of, of these streams of conversations. And based on what email our client opens, that might move them into a different stream because it detects automatically what they're interested in. And of course, the sales team now is fully informed as to who's reading what email. And it actually prompts them to get involved, ring the client, or actually email the client themselves personally. So that level of digital selling now is something that we never dreamt we'd be able to do a year ago. And now it's actually at the heart of our digital force sales strategy. Yeah, that's amazing. There's a sort of automated prospecting, automated qualifi qualification, automated maybe automated closing even. Uh, so I, we, I can see that in our own business. So we're focused on customer digital onboarding and closing. We provide channels, particularly for large telcos and financial institutions to reach out to the customer and close them all remotely, including document signing, know your customer, et cetera. So yeah, mm. I mean, it's it's really the coming thing. And I don't think when COVID goes away that it will really go back to where it was before. No, I agree with you there because I think the success we're having, because let, 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 let's like this has been a challenge. This doesn't happen overnight, this switching over to a digital force sales strategy. There's sure. definitely, it's not a light switch, okay? But what's proven to us is that it can work and it can be very effective. Now, if you think of the scenario that we're selling into, I think there's a, a, a greater acceptance of digital force selling techniques by our client base because they're also encumbered by the COVID-19 crisis. Mm -hmm. And we got in there really early with the ability to automate our sales process. So we were able to excel amongst our competitors in the market just because we had the, you know, the capacity, we had the scale in the organization to do this and we were, we were able to invest in it. But there's no doubt in my mind, the days of the road warriors, the uh -huh. infield sales guys, in my mind, are gone. Yeah. It's not that we won't do infield sales. We absolutely will go back there, but we certainly won't be doing the same level of travel and infield sales that we used to do before. I think digital force selling is going to be a new innovation and a new wave of change in how we engage with clients, sell to clients and onboard clients. Okay, Tony, I think that's a really interesting insight there, Tony, that not only is there a need to do it, but the culture change is happening both in companies and on the customer side at the same time. So I think you've, you've nailed it pretty much there. Look, Tony, it's been fantastic having you on board and listen to your experience and 
your knowledge and your insights in a, in a really interesting industry. So much appreciate you having, on, having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. And thanks for the invite. Now, Ra, and now, Tony, I have to put you up against the wall and ask you to nominate a song <laughs> that you'd <laughs> like to play out on. <laughs> okay. Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, one of the bands that, well, it was actually my first band I ever went to see live, believe it or not, and it was in the St. Francis Xavier Hall um, down at the Big Three in Drumcondry, yeah, the SFX. And yeah. it was actually you too, believe it or not. And they just oh, wow. released, they, wow. they just re- released their uh, boys album, believe it or not. So um, great! What, I think it was, I think it was five pounds to go in and see them. <laughs> you know, five pounds. You know, and I, I know subsequent to that, years later, I went to see you too, and it was like I don't know, two, three hundred pounds for a ticket or some crazy <laughs> amount of money like that. Um, but I think um, the song that, that that would resonate with me now, because we're going into this kind of discovery and voyage, new voyage of digital force selling is um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's still, I'm, I'm laughing, but it's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant yeah. song. So and I think I, that's I, when we'll finish on. Yeah, I know it's brilliant, brilliant selection, Tony. And also, apart from obviously being Irish, which culturally appeals to us, the, the, uh, their ability to stay relevant and fresh over the period of time that they've been in a band, their stamina, their, their creativity, just I find incredible. Mm, I agree. Absolutely. All right, Tony, thanks very much. Great. Thanks a lot, Pat. Take care.